you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Mike. Uh, it's a joy to see you guys this morning. Um, and uh, yes, I'm one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Um, hey, uh, this is a big topic. Uh, I'm going to pray in a second. But um, they're all big topics. But this one, look, I'm feeling in particular, gender equality, it's, it's one that affects us uh, and many of us in a very personal way profound way. Um, and I know that for some of us, um, our experience, uh, we've had bad experiences both inside and outside the church that we're bringing that um, emotionally here this morning. I'd uh, love to, to pray with you. Uh, Mel and I will be available for prayer uh, after the sermon during the songs. Uh, I'd love to, to keep talking with you and come chat to gospel community leaders, uh, people from the, uh, the leadership team. If, if there's things we can do to help you, put you in touch with um, resources that you need, help that you need. But let me pray uh, because God ultimately, He is our helper. And uh, I'm going to pray for His strength for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, We come before you as a holy God who knows all and who sees all. And as we embark on another massive topic, give us all humility. Help us to see the beauty in your word. May we, as a people, as a church, truly be a city on a hill. May we reflect your love for us and change us, shape us, and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Welcome to those uh, tuning in online as well. Well, gender equality, gender inequality, Australia has had a conflicting history when it comes to this subject. On one hand, uh, you could argue that now there is more equality than ever. Uh, Prior to 1966, uh, women who were married could no longer work in government jobs. The marriage bar, that was lifted at the end of 1966. Now women make up 60% of the public sector jobs. 
In fact, in 2010, uh, many of you will know, we, we had our first female Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, elected. And only uh, in 1972 was equal pay legally granted for men and women who work the same jobs. Uh, my grandma would tell stories of her work in a factory and men being paid more for the same work. Uh, yet, on the other hand, uh, one in three single women over the age of 60 live in poverty. Shockingly, one woman a week dies due to domestic violence in Australia. Half of women have experienced sexual harassment. That feeling of unsafety that I know many of you have uh, when uh, you feel like you're being watched, when you're walking back to your car at night, you know, having to, to hold keys uh, between your knuckles. That's something that I and, and many men uh, never really have to experience. Inequality, it's not all one-sided. Men, they don't live as long as women, about four years on average in Australia. Uh, tragically, suicide is the biggest killer for men aged 15 to 44, three times more likely for men to take their own lives than women. And there's unhelpful stereotypes of both men and women portrayed in the media and social media that are pervasive and can profoundly affect our core, our sense of self, our identity, our core being. The curse and the consequences of sin run deep. Gender equality, it's, uh, as hopefully you appreciate, it's an incredibly complex issue. Uh, to illustrate, in 2018, Stanford University in America, they did a, a study on Uber drivers around the pay gap. Now, you think um, Uber, so Uber drivers, you don't choose men or women, um, like pay gap, what's, what's that? Should, should there even be a pay gap? They actually found a 7% pay gap between men and women. Now, why is that? Well, they, they, they found three factors behind this. Firstly, um, a survey of 1.8 million, very, very substantial survey, uh, they found that men were more likely to drive riskier routes than women that were more lucrative. So they get more money, more fares that way. You know, late night, drunken drop-offs to the valley, things like that. Uh, secondly, um, men completed the jobs faster. Maybe they were more likely to speed, or maybe they were more productive, depending which way you look at it. Thirdly, in a pretty transient industry, Uber drivers, uh, women uh, didn't last as long in the job as men. Men stuck around longer and stuck around longer, and so therefore they were able to you know, figure out the tricks of the trade, figure out um, how to play the Uber game, what times to work, um, jobs to accept, places to hang around in, etc. Now, people who, who lean right, they might be saying, well, so what, 7%? Like, men and women have been given the equal opportunity there. Um, if some drivers are rewarded for longevity, for, for doing their job better, more efficiently, shouldn't they be rewarded for that? Or well, for others that lean left, they might be saying, look, this shows how real and how, under, you know, how much of an undercurrent this real gender gap is. And maybe women would be more likely to stay if the company valued women and appreciated the differences that they bring. And raising the question, why aren't safer, rewarded, safer drivers being rewarded rather than riskier ones? And so when it comes to our vision of equality, well, that depends on who you ask. It depends on what you actually mean by equality. Is it equality of opportunity? Is it equality of outcome? Is it that men and women have just equal value, or is it equality without distinction and roles? Now, some of you might be thinking, um, well, you've got a man to talk up this morning. He's not qualified. This is a women's issue. Now, gender equality is not just an issue for me because I live with three women. Just to clarify, that's one wife and two daughters. 
Um, but as, uh, as Kate Jenkins, the Australian Sex Discrimination Commissioner says, she says this is not a women's issue, it's a societal issue in which every Australian and every Australian workplace can contribute to addressing. Gender equality is a societal issue and we as a church need to speak into this. On one level, yes, I'm actually not qualified to talk about this and I don't pretend that in the next 30 minutes or so that we're going to uncover every issue, everything that needs to be said on this issue. But I do know one who is qualified to talk about this. In fact, he's the only one qualified to talk about this, Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to lift our eyes, lift our gaze, take off our cultural contact lenses by which we see the world and to look at what Jesus has to say through his word. Now, some of us this morning aren't followers of Jesus. Can I say, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I chatted to someone um, just the previous service that isn't a follower of Jesus. We, we, ho- we hope you feel warmly welcome uh, here this morning. Uh, we're so glad you're here, and we hope that you see something of the beauty, the truth, and the relevance of Jesus in the Christian story. Now, this morning, I could spend ages, hours doing cultural analysis, and that is important. We could spend hours talking about our experiences on this issue, and I'm very conscious of the fact, as I said, that this is a deeply personal issue, that that no one comes to this from a neutral starting point. And I know that sadly, some of you have been treated awfully by, by men and even by Christian men. Can I just say from the outset that I'm sorry? Now, that is awful. That is not what the Bible says. But there is hope. There is healing to be found in Jesus. So when we're approaching any topic, but particular this topic, we can't just cherry-pick a verse or two in the Bible and state our whole theology, our doctrine, our way of thinking based on those one or two verses. Sadly, uh, often men have, have, not often, but sadly over history, men have on occasion uh, taken the Bible out of context for their own agenda. Now, just because you quote a Bible verse, it doesn't mean you can speak from God's authority. Even Satan quotes Scripture out of context. He twists it for his own agenda. That is called spiritual abuse. God has no place for that, especially in the church. When my mum got married, uh, she had a Bible reading by a Polish priest that she barely met. And uh, it said this, that a good wife is a silent wife. Now, mum assumed uh, for years, uh, even until a few years ago, that that was uh, something that was one of Paul's letters, because you know, Paul didn't like women, um, she said, would say. And, uh, and, but in fact, that, that, that's not even in the Bible. And she only discovered that a few years ago, but suddenly it was eroding her view of the church, her view of Christianity and even Jesus. And so what we'll be doing uh, this morning is we're going to just try to have a quick bird's eye view, a flyover of Scripture. We're going to look at what the Bible says about men and women. Then I'm going to outline four, four ways in which churches have typically approached this. I'm going to show us what I think is the most biblical and some implications for us as, as church, for families, and briefly, broader society. A lot to get through. Keep your Bibles open. Um, but let's look through this topic of gender equality, as we have over the last few weeks as well, thinking through the Christian story. Um, that goes like this, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God made the world good, but through sin, humans messed it up. They've rebelled against God, and thus there are consequences and effects that distorted God's good created order. 
However, through Jesus, he's redeemed the world, reconciling himself to humanity. And we live in what's now called the last days, sort of between points three and four. We still feel the effects of the fall, um, but we're waiting the return of Jesus, the hope that we have for humanity, where he will come and restore all things, where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at those four things. Genesis chapter 1, the first three chapters of Scripture are really vital for understanding who we are and everything. Let's open up to Genesis chapter 1. Now, God had been creating uh, plants and animals, and we see in verse 25 that it's good. It is good, but there's something missing. The crowning glory of his creation is not there. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It says man there, it refers to mankind and God says, let mankind be made in my image. I'm going to make them separate from the rest of creation. You know, we're different. We're different from plants. Hopefully you've realized that. We're different from animals. Uh, We reflect God's character. We're created for eternity. We have a soul. We're made for relationship, ultimately with God, but indeed with each other, capable of reason and self-awareness and called to live out God's plan for humanity, to rule the world under God as our king, to look after, to care for the world and each other. Keep reading verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God makes it absolutely clear both male and female are created equal in his image. But there is an order. There is a distinction. It says that God created him, Adam, the man, first with a a different purpose, we'll see, of how he created Eve. And after creating animals, God looked at the work and he said it was good. But only after did God create man and woman did he say that it was very good. It was very good. There was something complete now that man and woman were there. That's Genesis chapter 1. But do you know that the Bible has more than one creation account? Do you know that? There's several, actually. But even in Genesis, there's two. Uh, you know, sometimes people object to the Bible on scientific terms, saying, look at the first chapter of the Bible, that disagrees with science, that disagrees with history. We, you know, we, we aren't meant to read Genesis in the same way we read a scientific textbook or a, or a modern history book. It's not about giving all the details or the complexity of the how. But Genesis 2, in fact, is telling a different but similar creation account. It's telling the creation story from a different perspective. Genesis 2 is not just flowing on chronologically from Genesis 1. Um, There's poetry, there's color, there's symbolism. We've just read in Genesis 1, God created male and female. But we get to Genesis 2, we see there's just male. See that? There's no woman. God has given Adam the responsibility to try to carry out God's plan. He was to live off and look after the land. He's given the responsibility to name all animals, which is a further emphasis that humans, in particular Adam, was the one given to a responsibility to lead. And yet there's a huge problem. The problem in the garden, the first problem is not sin. It's actually incompletion. It's loneliness. Adam is not able to fulfill the mandate that God has given him to look after the garden 
and, and in particular to be fruitful and multiply. But more than that, come with me to Genesis 2.20. God says, but as for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam needs help. He looks around at all the animals, sees they're good, they're helpful, something good about animals, but yet they're not suitable. They're not suitable for God's intended purpose for humanity. And, so, and some of you see the word helper, and you're thinking, ah, yeah, the Bible, it's, it's sexist. That's, that's all it says a woman is, a helper. But yet throughout the Bible, the word helper is actually even used to describe God. Throughout the Psalms, at least five times, Psalm 33, 70, 115, 121, could go on. Uh, God is described as my helper, uh, the one we go to in prayer. Eve is this irreplaceable helper. She's fulfilling what Adam cannot do alone. So what does God do? Well, he performs the first recorded surgery in history. Like a good anesthetist, he puts Adam to sleep and Adam, uh, he takes on Adam's ribs out, and um, thankful he was asleep for that. He makes a woman, and God presents this woman to Adam. And then what does he do? Uh, if you've got a physical Bible, bring your physical Bibles to church because you can see this. Uh, it, there's an indentation there. It's, it's a change of genre, and it goes to poetry almost like a song. Adam's bursting into it, verse 23. He says, At last, finally, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. It's like Adam sees her, and Adam's been naming everything, and he sees this woman. He's like, whoa, man. And so God, he ordains this marriage, this first marriage. The two become one flesh, naked and unashamed. God's purposes for creation are for men and women to be together. Not just in marriage, yes, in marriage, but ruling together in perfect harmony, perfect relationship with one another and with God. However, it doesn't take long for man and woman to stuff things up. We see the fall. Satan, he tempts Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. They had one rule, to to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes and twists God's word, spiritual abuse. He takes it out of context and Eve succumbs. Adam, who was meant to be responsible for her, at this point, he's very passive. He sits on the side and he goes along for the ride. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, Adam realizes that he's naked and he he covers himself because he's fueled with physical, emotional, spiritual shame. He hides from the presence of God, we read about. And God says to him, he says to Adam specifically, where are you? He confronts Adam. With his sin. And instead of taking responsibility, he's already hiding, he blame shifts. He says to God, The woman that you put her there, she made me do it. God goes to Eve, and Eve then blame shifts again. She blames Satan. And here we see this first moment of true gender inequality a conflict between man and woman, which continues to this day. And have a look at what God says to Eve in chapter 3, verse 16. He says that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Uh, Australian theologian Claire Smith translates this as this, that she desires to possess or control him, and instead he will rule over her. 
important to get this right. This verse has been twisted. Uh, this is not a prescription. This is not uh, what God plans for man and woman. This is the curse. This is a distortion. And so Claire Smith, she says this, that this is a distortion of the roles and responsibilities of women and men in Genesis 2, where the man is the firstborn, is given the law, and has ultimate responsibility in the garden. The woman, on the other hand, is created from the man and for him. She is his helper, not his leader. She is lovingly named by him and joins him in the new family he initiates. Instead of helper, she will seek control. Instead of loving head, he will rule. Claire Smith, she writes a book, God's Good Design, really helpful book. I'll post it up on the Facebook group. But Claire Smith goes through um, basically every passage in the Bible talks about men and women and explains them. Really helpful. Recommend that book. But the man, he's meant to be the servant leader. But instead, we see the curse, the brokenness of life. Ray Ortland says the opposite of man's role as leader is male domination. The assertion of man over the woman's will, regardless of her spiritual equality, her rights and her value. Now, we see the effects of this today, don't we? The the rift between man and woman, the fracturing of these relationships, not just in marriage, but throughout society. Women have been, and sadly, continue to be treated as objects. I went to an all-boys school, and it was typical Monday morning banter to talk about your, your escapades over the weekend, and particularly what you got up to and who you got up to that with. Which girl you hooked up with, we'd you know, give her a score out of 10, you know, objectify her, we'd even have a book where we kind of rated her. It was, it was quite awful, but it was the context, and porn was the playground where this plays out. You know, some people might say about porn that just art, you know, it's an expression of choice where consenting, two or more consenting adults are doing their thing. Some have even argued that porn is empowering to women. Unfortunately, uh, that's far from the truth. There's so much to be said uh, about this here. Uh, you can read about stories of, of ex-porn stars. I'm even reluctant to use that name, name stars, but on websites, a really helpful website, Fight the New Drug. Uh, it's a secular website against porn. It talks about uh, just the, the effects, the pervasiveness of porn. Um, and, and they talk about how it's really modern-day slavery, the accounts of what these often women have gone through, the abuse they received, and how they ended up in the job they had. One study found that in porn videos, here's the inequality, men reach orgasm 78% of time, while women only 18%. And shockingly, 97% of sexual violence uh, in porn occurs towards the female. This is the playground. This is the, 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 the media that we as a society are consuming. This is how we're shaping our views of sexuality, how we view the roles of men and women. We see women, they're there for men's sexual gratification and thus can be treated as such. I'm so sorry again if that has been your experience. That's not how God has intended. Friends, in a broken world, affected by the fall, there is good news. Redemption, looking to Jesus. Jesus offers something incredibly counter-cultural in regards to gender equality. As we see in his life, and I encourage you, if you have not read one of the accounts of Jesus as an adult, please do. Mark's the shortest, but you can read all four of them. We see in his life by how he treats all women, both men, so all people, both men and women, with dignity and respect. He talks, this sounds weird, but this was countercultural. He talked directly with women in public. 
That wasn't what you do, especially if you're a religious teacher back then. Think of the widow at Nain and even talk to non-Jewish women of a different ethnicity, like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 at the well. He talked to women who had been adulterous. He defended women who, were, um, who had been abused by hypocritical religious men. Uh, in John 8, we read, read about the woman who, who he said, let who, who is among you be the first to throw a stone at her. In John chapter 8, he touched and healed a bleeding woman who was on, while he was on a detour to heal another young woman. He allowed a prostitute to weep and wash at his feet. And radically, he encouraged Martha uh, to be less busy in the kitchen and sit down at his feet like Mary and be a disciple. The first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women, which as an aside, I think is an incredible testimony to the validity of uh, the, the historical resurrection. You know, if you're going to make up a story about a guy that died and rose again to, to life and said he was the son of God, you wouldn't make women to be the first eyewitnesses, especially back in first century Middle Eastern culture. At the time, they weren't even legally allowed to, to give evidence in court. Yet God includes them as key pieces in history. And the way uh, our society has, has viewed women, that the change uh, over the last 2,000 years, it, no one has been more significant in affecting that than Jesus. Even secular historians like Tom Holland would agree how Jesus has radically changed how we view individual rights, how we view men and women. Dorothy Sayers, she sums up the life of Jesus like this. Perhaps it is no wonder that the women were the first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There has never been such another, a prophet and a teacher who never nagged them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made art jokes about them, who took their questions and arguments seriously. Nobody could possibly guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about women's nature. Love that quote. It wasn't just that he showed compassion on women who were vulnerable. That, that's really important. But he respected and valued and treated them as equals. Uh, Jesus included women, as we've seen, as part of his disciples. They, they followed him. They, they helped support him and, and, and fund him. They were significant. And yet, Jesus also maintained an equal but separate role. Equality but distinction. Uh, within his disciples, he chose 12, 12 men to be his apostles who would become leaders and founders of the church entrusted with the gospel. So we've seen a very brief account of the Christian story of creation, fall, redemption, and how it pertains to men and women. Equality, yes, but distinction. Now, there are four ways which churches have made sense of this. Uh, and uh, there's a slide behind me which shows them. Now, all these views have merit. They have some merit, uh, and there's something we can learn from them. I'm going to quickly go through these four and I'm show us where I think we're convinced the Bible lands. But before we get to there, let's look at them quickly. On the far right, you've got Christian patriarchy. Now, they would place a high view on the family. They would say the decline of society is due to the decline of the family. Now, for the Christian patriarchy, this is interpreted to mean that all women must be under the authority of a man at all times. First her fathers, then her husbands, and if her husband dies, she looks to the authority of her son and pastor. One commentator I read argued that a man should not submit to a female police officer. 
Now, while you know, I don't want to just critique the extremes, uh, there is something to learn from all these views, but I think here it goes beyond the realm of Scripture. Uh, and just to clarify, this is not where we stand as a church. On the other extreme, we've got Christian feminism. Now, on the other, other extreme, far left, Christian feminism. At its best, a, a Christian feminist is one who, who seeks to define and defend the equal rights of women in all spheres of life, uh, whether that's politically, economically, socially, spiritually, that's Christian feminism. Now, that's at its best. Uh, however, in practice, uh, what happens is the Christian feminist has a goal not just to flatten the distinctions between men and women, but in the process of getting there, really undermining Scripture. They would argue that the Bible is written by men, for men, and therefore we need to make sure we aren't opposing its oppressive culture on us. Because now we live in the 21st century and so much has happened, so we need to keep going. Now, there's something um, noble and even helpful about that, but the problem here is uh, that they, they remove the word from um, its highest authority. Now, thirdly, Christian egalitarianism. Now, this is the view that, that men and women are equal in role and value. And, uh, and a fully authoritative Bible they say, would support freedom of women under Christ without male supervision to follow their good given, God-given callings and special gifts with the Spirit, including the leadership ministries of elder and lead teacher. Now, you might be thinking, what's the difference between those two views? There's overlap, um, you can tell, but feminism typically comes from a place of, of reaction, um, often a place of, of hurt, uh, a place that's trying to impose culture above the word, Egalitarians, they do uh, seek the truth, uh, from, and they try to do it from Scripture. Uh, Kate Wallace Nunnally, she says this, that we also believe that patriarchy and gender roles were not part of God's original design for humanity, but were under a direct result of sin, as they are not mentioned in the creation account until after sin is introduced. So they would argue that prior to the fall, um, do this, try this from the Bible, there's no th- such thing as headship. There was a oneness. That male and female were equal, but also not just in value, but in role, in filling the earth and subduing it. They would point to leaders throughout the Old Testament, like Deborah, who served as a prophet and a judge, Miriam, who led worship, Esther, who uh, helped uh, lead God's people when they were in trouble. And in the New Testament, we, see, we do see this. We see women who are active in the light of, of the church. They're leading house churches, being fellow workers in Christ. We read them included uh, in many of Paul's letters, Romans 16 uh, especially. Now, some of you might be thinking, all right, what's City on Hill's position on this? Uh, now, some of you are a bit cluey. You're noticing that one of these circles is a slightly different color. It's highlighted. Could that be it? Uh, well done. Uh, and if you've been around for more than a few months, then this probably won't surprise you. Um, this is where we land. Now, we don't land here as a reaction to the other views. We don't land here because we think it's cool. We don't land here because it's safe. We land here because we're convinced that this is what God's Word has to say. And we want to submit to this. And before I very briefly outline this position, uh, can I just say, if you're, as I said before, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're welcome here. But if you're, if you're wrestling with this stuff, if you're, we're all wrestling with this stuff, but if you maybe land in one of those other three views that I've outlined very briefly, um, you're so welcome here. And I know that some of you do land there. And we, we love that you're here. We love that you challenge us. We love that, um, that there's, there's diversity. Can I encourage all of us, regardless of where we land on this and, and every topic, uh, to be people of humility, uh, to be people of grace, to be people that try to understand the other person's perspective, but do so 
under the authority of God's word. Uh, allow God's word to, to confront us, uh, allow it to make us feel uncomfortable. Um, so can I encourage us to keep God's word at the center? All right, complementarianism. This view says that men and women are equal but different. We are distinct but dependent on one another. We complement each other with an E, not an I. Hopefully we do with an I as well. Um, as we've seen through creation for redemption story, this is how God has made us. It's not a product of the fall, but it's part of God's good design. I'm going to rip the band out, talk, off, talk about two words that, that have been sadly twisted before, but are important in us understanding this. Submission and headship. Now, you might hear these words and see them as dirty words. Again, I'm sorry if you've had bad experiences before. Um, but just to clarify, these words only occur and only apply, sorry, for specific contexts. Primarily the context of family, marriage between a Christian man and a Christian woman. You know, if you think about the word submission, uh, it literally means being under the mission of. Now, this could be a bad thing if someone's mission is twisted, it is evil. Uh, but under a good leader, under good leadership, this is a good thing, a beautiful thing. And uh, if you think about submission, we submit all the time. Uh, hopefully, you submitted to the traffic lights on your way in. Uh, you would have submitted to Amelia as she led the singing this morning, saying, stand and sing with us. We submit all the time. It's just how our society works. If you've got a, a boss, um, they're not better than you. They might think they are, but they're not better than you. They've just got a different role to you. But I think the most helpful place to think about submission is the Trinity, Jesus himself, his place in the Trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit, uh, one God, three persons. And we see Jesus, though he was equal to God the Father, he submitted to God the Father. In the night before he was killed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father God, take this cup, this cup of wrath, uh, the, the judgment he was about to face on the cross, take this away from me. I don't want to do it. In his humanity, he didn't actually want to die on the cross. Um, but yet he said, not my will, what your will be done. I'm going to submit to you, Father God, as the one who is, is the head of me. We see that in the Bible. He obeyed. Now, this wasn't cosmic child abuse, as Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, said. No, no, this was the greatest act of love that humanity has ever seen. This is why we are here, because of the cross of what Jesus did in submitting to the Father. Jesus is the head of the church, 1 Peter 5 says. God is, the God is the head of Jesus, the Father. Now, Sam Storms, he says this, that um, the principle of male headship should not be confused with nor uh, given any hint of domineering control. Rather, it is to be loving, tender, and nurturing care of a godly man who is himself under the kind and gentle authority of Jesus Christ. That's the picture of what submission and headship should look like. It's not to be twisted. It's not to be taken out of context. Now, there's three realms to, to think about this, as I said before, marriage and family. Uh, one pastor, this word, this line just stuck with me. I, I think I heard this in 2008. A uh, pastor said that the hardest commandment in the Bible is for, Christ, sorry, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The hardest commandment in the Bible is for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That was years before I was married, and yet that word stuck with me. This is, the, this is what men, husbands, are called to do, future husbands, to look to Jesus, to lay down our lives for our brides. 
to be thinking about their needs above our own. You know, we don't get to play the submission card to get what we want. It's not what it's talking about. Let's talk about another realm, church life. Now, there's loads more to say about this. Um, in fact, we as a family of churches, uh, we're eight, soon to be ten churches across Australia, we're in the process of clarifying things. We're keen to put some of this out in writing up on our website on the next few months. But let me say this, that we at City on a Hill, we value men and women serving together. We have uh, two of our staff in the Brisbane team, two of the five are, are females. Um, we, uh, we have many staff across our churches. Steph Judd, uh, she uh, speaking at the women's event on, on Wednesday night, come along to that. Uh, she's part of the, the, the central movement leadership team. Uh, we uh, have women serve on the, our board. In fact, we're looking for more men and women to be serving on the board. We're about to start to launch a new church council. I uh, want men and women there. We have female service leaders. We have female worship leaders many female team leaders, ministry team leaders, and gospel community leaders. Uh, Mel, you've been doing an excellent job. I'm going to invite her up in a sec. Uh, she's been doing an excellent job uh, this, this year. Um, this year she started, and she's, it feels like you've been here for years because you're, you're having such a profound effect, not just on the women and, and the women's lives, but even um, in the culture and DNA of our church. So I'm so thankful for you, sister. Now, you might be thinking, what about preaching? You might have noticed, if you've been here more than a few weeks, that we only have men preaching here, what I'm doing on a Sunday morning. Now, this is not because men are better. Sure, Mel could have done a great job doing this talk this morning. My wife, Sarah, could have done a great job. She's, they both have helped me profoundly think about this. But this is about responsibility, not about ability. God, in his infinite wisdom has called men to be elders, pastors, and given them the responsibility to preach and preach the word and shepherd the church. Now, hopefully that makes sense in light of what we've seen in God's created order in the pattern uh, affirmed by Jesus. Uh, but there's many other places you could go to this. Again, we don't have time. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, talking about the qualifications of the overseer, Titus 1, uh, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. You could talk about, you go to lots of places in the Bible. Um, and we don't just invite any man to come up and preach. Uh, we, we value um, the pulpit, we valued the Sunday sermon because God does. Uh, we, we've had, we have a couple of lay elders, uh, Grant and Michael. They've occasionally preached, but only after being put through the ringer, uh, answering a uh, many thousand word questionnaire, being interviewed, tested. Uh, and why is that? Well, God values this ministry. It's significant. It's spiritual leadership. It's a place where you get to bring the word to bear on people's lives. This is more than a TED Talk. Uh, it's more than a lecture. Now, as I said before, I'm going to invite Mel up. Um, uh, not to preach, but let's give Mel a round of applause. I know she was up before. Um, um, I'm going to invite Mel, why don't I invite Mel up. Mel, um, I think, has got some um, helpful things to say on this, uh, helpful things uh, not just for the women, but for the men. Um, now, Mel, uh, why would you say um, that this, um, thinking about Complementarianism. Why would you say this is a, a tricky, a complex issue for, um, for particularly for women to, to think about? Well, I think that well, no, I think we live in a culture um, today in society where it says that uh, we can have everything, uh, and we deserve it as women. We deserve everything the same as what men have. 
Come oh, a bit. Come here, so, so the, the camera can see your beautiful face. Hi. There we go. Yeah. Hi, everyone yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we live... Yeah, so we live in a world where, where uh, we're told we can have everything and we should want... It. We, should, we deserve everything and we should want everything. Mm. Um, and when... Um, I guess someone says, do not or you cannot, um, that grates on us, mm. grates on me. Um, mm. it, it grates on us when someone says, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that. And mm. Things like uh, helper, which you talked about, mm. submission, headship, mm. authority, quiet, silence, all of those kind of words, um, we're, we're told in society that um, they're bad words mm. and um, given negative connotations so Mm. um when we've got the world screaming at us um one thing and the bible perhaps saying other things it's 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 really loud Mm. um now tell us a bit of your experience and and your your views on this like you you became a christian as an adult um you've been working for churches for many years um yeah how do you how do you personally view this yeah i um I, as, as you said, I became a Christian as an adult. I was at university and so I grew up on a healthy diet of Sydney Anglican um, thought, which is a complementary view. Mm. Um, so I, I learnt, I, I think, well from the Bible um, and I, um, I, I've read different views and different opinions um, and um, and I think that I've come to the conclusion um, that I believe that the complementary way, like I think that the Bible talks about that whole equal but different, mm. yeah, mm. different roles. You you, were, you said I think I've come to the conclusion. You were much stronger than on the phone last week. You you, you were saying um, something like um, it was just obvious. It just made sense from from straight away. Um, you, like t- yeah. tell us a bit more. Tell us I'm more. trying to be humble. No no no. no, no. <laughs> t- tell, tell, tell us about yeah. Tell us oh. about why 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 was why did it make sense? Um, why did complementarianism make sense for you um, even yeah. as a young Christian? Um, I think because. Um, because it's, there's some things that are obvious, like men and women are different. Like, just look at each other, look at the person beside you, unless you're both men sitting together. Um, but um, we're different, it's obvious. And we have different gifts and different abilities and uh, different skills and different natures. So um, to me, I guess, um, it makes sense that we, we complement each other. Hmm. We... we um, Add uh, mm. value to each other mm. by being different. Yeah, thanks, Mel. Um, and lastly, um, what advice would you give to someone who's um, who's wrestling with this? Who's who's got questions? Who maybe fits that? Oh, that that circle doesn't kind of neatly fit me. How would you? Um, yeah, how would you? What, what advice would you give for them? Yeah, I'd say that's okay. Like mm. it's okay uh, to struggle and to wrestle with scripture, mm. um, just as we all do um, about other different elements of scripture. Um, I'd encourage you to keep wrestling with it. I'd encourage you to talk to people who have different views um, and engage in healthy debate um, about it. With, with I'm happy to chat to anyone um, at any time. That, that's great. But, um, yeah, I think um, the, the, from a, say, like for people who are more complementarian in their views is um, not to switch their minds off either, mm. as 
is to engage as well um, and not to stray into that, um, that last circle mm. that you had. Patriarchy, yeah. 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 Not to add things. Yeah, not to add things. Uh, thanks, Mel. Let's give Mel a round of applause. Thank you. That's so helpful. Um, and last plug for, uh, I'm sure I've already raised questions, but come along on, ladies, come along on Wednesday night. Uh, there will be time for Q&A and uh, there'll be a panel and there'll be space to wrestle and apply uh, some of these things, maybe some of the bombs I've dropped for you this morning. Um, but let's, let's wrap things up. How do, we, um, how do we kind of wrap all this up? Um, well, um, church, we're called City on a Hill. Let's be a city on a hill. Let's be a community that shows people how Jesus is better, how he offers a better story. Let's use what influence we have uh, to, to love our city. Um, you know, we can make small changes. We can advocate for the rights of the oppressed, caring for the marginalized, standing up for injustice, which sadly is often women. Now, if nothing else, the Bible should shape our view towards the marginalized, towards the vulnerable. Uh, I, I read this week that uh, 50% of organizations, businesses in Australia now have a domestic violence leave policy. You can have a domestic violence leave. Now, it's, it's awful that we've had to come to a place where that's even a thing. Uh, but maybe if your organization doesn't have that, maybe that could be a space that you could campaign for, that you could, if you're a small business owner, um, you could implement that. Does your workplace have a sexual harassment policy? Uh, if, it's, if it does, does the, is it good? Uh, and does the culture that you have in your workplace, does it reflect that? As a church, we're to be men and women in community shaped by the word, dependent on one another. We can't expect the world to be living under the authority of the word. There's separation between you know, church, state, culture, but everyone regardless of, of doctrine or belief is, or, or race or gender, is an image bearer of God, precious to him. Men, we're called to be brothers uh, with, with women as our sisters, not our subordinates. Now, would you say that comment, think that thought about your sister? Let's uphold women. Honor them, value them, pray for them, pray for them specifically in church, in, in our gospel communities, in the workplace as well. Likewise, women, let's be treating um, men as brothers with our words and actions. Men aren't the root. Males aren't root of the problem. Uh, let's uphold them in honor. Let's value them in the church, family, and workplace. But friends, there's greater hope. And I began by looking at this framework of the Christian story of creation for redemption. But I left out the last piece till the end, the hope. As I invite the band up, a reminder that um, yeah, Mel and I will be there to pray with you guys uh, after, during these songs or after the service. We'd love to chat with you more. Let's look at the gospel hope restoration. Men and women, there's beautiful hope in the gospel. Come with me to the very la second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Now in this, John, he, he sees a vision from God about the hope that Jesus brings. Uh, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Relationships, marriage relationships, uh, they're temporary. Uh, They're pointing us towards a greater marriage between God and his people, Christ and his church. We as the people of God are like a bride waiting, being prepared for our husband, Jesus. We'll all be single in, in heaven in a sense, but we'll all be married to Jesus. In heaven, there'll be no more divisions, no more domestic violence, no more disappointment. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be perfect equality between everyone in heaven. Church, we can't fix the world, but God will. Join with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that you sit above time and space and have made the world according to your plan. Help us to see and marvel at the beauty of your word. Lord, we pray for the men here. We pray that uh, we would look to Jesus. We pray that we would treat the women here as sisters, honor them, respect them, value them, and the world would look on and, and, and be like, wow, I want to be part of that community. We pray for the women here. We pray too that they can look to Jesus. They'd be shaped by him. Treating and honoring um, men as, as brothers uh, is part of your family. Lord, we pray for our city. Would you protect the vulnerable, the marginalized? Use us as a community to, to be your influence, to bring about peace and protection. Would we live in such a countercultural way that others would see our good deeds and give you glory in heaven? We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.